0: Acts 17, 22-32 Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship." And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations When they heard about the resurrection of death, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject.
1: Cool. Thank you, Roscoe. Um, Keep your Bibles open to that. We're going to refer back to this passage a little um, and also back to a a few other passages as we go along. Um, So you can just make a note of those uh, as we work our way through them uh, this morning. All right, let me just get organised. All right, I've got a test for you this week. Um, it's exam week, so I thought it's appropriate that we, uh, that we do a test of our own. It's a maths test. Um, I want you guys to work out using maths uh, and physics and whatever else you're good at. Uh, if I throw this tennis ball, underarm throw, I want you to work out where it's going to go. All right, so you're pretty smart. I, I have very high expectations of you guys. Uh, use your maths, you can figure out how strong I am um, fairly, so you know, it's going to go a long way. <laughs> Obviously, uh, you can figure out the trajectory it might go on. You can figure out how much gravity. It's not a very fuzzy tennis ball, so you can figure that the uh, you know the wind resistance on it isn't isn't going to be too great. Um, come on, pens. I, I, I don't I don't know what sort of maths you did at school. This is beyond me. Um, anyone worked it out yet? Hey, Geb. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for catching that. It would have been a... Cheers. Jethro would be crabby at me if I lost that. <laughs> now, I know I can see what you're doing there. I know that you didn't do the sums, uh, and yet you did manage to catch it, so congratulations. Uh, how, did, how did Geb catch the ball without, you know, his great knowledge of physics and maths being applied to the situation? Uh, he caught it by experience, didn't he? Um, By intuition, we don't don't need to know maths to catch a tennis ball. Uh, We can work it out, we we can figure it out. Uh, And that's because there's two kinds of knowledge, isn't there? Uh, There's experience, there's intuition, uh, and then there's theoretical knowledge or technical knowledge, uh, like maths and working it out on paper. There's living and there's doing it, there's working it out. Now lots of life, lots of life is intuitive, lots of life is experiential. I mean, if you watch our cricketers on TV, uh, they didn't go to uni and get a degree in physics or maths to be able to play cricket, that's, well, I assume they didn't, <laughs> it's a guess, but, but they're good at it because of intuition and experience that they've built up over years by doing it lots and lots. Now here's the thing, two kinds of knowledge, intuitive, experiential, technical, theoretical. In life, most of life, what we do is over here, uh, intuitive, experiential. Some things are technical, theoretical. But what about when it comes to God? What about when it comes to living as God's people and trying to come to an understanding of what that means? Uh, I think most of us live in this kind of experience, you know, experience, intuition. We perhaps have heard things about God, we've learned things about him, picked up things of him along the way and, and that's, that's where we exist. And most of that knowledge is quite accurate, reasonably accurate. And so we ask ourselves, do we need this technical knowledge? Do you need to this, this theoretical stuff like what we're doing over this series? Do we need these big words and these weird Latin things? Is that actually essential to us? Well, the answer is no <laughs> and Yes. Um, no you don't need it to be saved you don't need to understand Latin Uh, you don't need to understand all this uh, theology and some of the very technical ways that it's formed it's not essential but it is good it is good it's good to think deeply about who God is. It's good to dwell on his character and to wrestle with some of these difficult concepts because it helps us. It helps us to deepen our knowledge of who he is and to try to appreciate him more. It's, it's our taste of his perfections and his mysteries even. It helps us to not only appreciate him but also to worship him and be amazed at him and therefore live for him. Because what we find, the more we study of God is, the more we find is a God who is greater than we'd ever dared imagine. Who is deeper and richer and more wonderful and more incredible. And that's why we're going to keep on with this series. That's why we're going to delve into this more this morning. Now today the aspect of God that we are learning is a aseity. Now I had to Google how to say that. I admit I've read it in books lots. I didn't know how to say it, so I googled it. Uh, aseity it rhymes with deity, uh, and it is from a Latin word. It's from the word "asse," which means from himself. So what we're talking about is when we when we use this in re- reference to God, we are talking about the fact that God is self-existent, uh, or God is self-sufficient. Uh, perhaps is another way to put it. Um, that is that is God is independent or god is absolute entirely in and of himself he has as we heard in the kid kids talk he has no needs Uh, there is nothing he lacks there is nothing he requires he is uh, entirely self-contained i mean you know what it's like you're booking holiday accommodation you look for something that's self-contained because you know it's got everything that you need in it to to have your holiday so it is with god god is self-contained he has everything he needs in and of himself You might have seen it, Paul mentioned it in the text that Roscoe read out just for us uh, a moment ago. In Acts 17 verse 25 he says this, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God needs nothing. Uh, Everything flows from him, nothing flows to him because he lacks nothing. Um, As Karina mentioned, logically this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, if God is perfect, then by definition God is complete, without needs. I mean, if God needs something, that implies an imperfection in God, doesn't it? It implies that there's something lacking, something that needs to be made complete. And on the other hand, if God has needs and someone else or something else supplies them, That implies that that thing in itself is greater, at least in that aspect, than God. For it can fill him up. And since neither of those things can be true, we can conclude God is perfect, therefore God needs nothing. Aseity, independent, absolute. Now as Paul mentioned in that text, in that sermon that he gives in the Areopagus, this sets God apart. This makes God different from absolutely everything else in existence. It sets him apart from the other gods, um, as as Paul says there. You know, why would God need a temple? (laughs) Why would he need a house to dwell? He needs nothing. It's not like those other gods that you worship. But he's not like people either. He's not like humanity. We have needs. God does not. God has never needed anything. He has never been in want. He has never lacked. He is independent and entirely in and of himself. And whilst that kind of makes sense, it is a hard concept to wrestle with, isn't it? It's, it's a strange thing to wrap your mind around, because we're so used to needing and wanting. Um, having, a, having a baby again reminded me of this um, Somehow in the three years between Jethro and Rufus, I'd just forgotten everything about babies. <laughs> like, absolutely everything. And so when, when Rufus came along, it's kind of a shock to just be reminded how needy babies are. Like, babies are pure need. <laughs> you know, he cannot feed himself. He cannot communicate. He can't get things he wants. If you put him on the ground, if there's a toy 10 centimetres away, it's, he, he can't do it. <laughs> and he, Also, if you put him on the ground, this is really convenient and you go, back, you know, leave, come back, he's still there. <laughs> it's great, at least for the time. Uh, if he wants something, the only way he can communicate, well, he's only got one mode of communication, and it's obnoxious, <laughs> it's not pleasant. Like, he, babies are pure need. Now, we like to think that as we get older, that changes. You know, we get more independent, we get more able, we, we rely on others less. But we're really needy as well, aren't we? I mean, just how, think how pathetic you are, or I know I am, uh, when we get hungry. <laughs> you know, we start getting tired, we start getting irritable, we get hangry. Uh, let alone, you know, when the coffee machine doesn't work or when we need sleep. We, we are so desperately needy, it drives everything uh, in our life. But not God. God is not needy. And we shouldn't project our neediness onto him. He is independent, absolute, aseity. Now you don't need, don't need to remember that word in particular, that's okay. But you do need to remember this concept. Because it helps us remember who our God is and it preserves that, that otherness of our God. That he is higher and greater and different. Because we need to be careful to keep that. Um, you might might hear it said sometimes you maybe maybe outright um, sometimes even just implied or hinted at um, that God kind of has needs now sometimes we hear this this kind of thing you know God created the world so that he could have people to love, um, or God created the world so he had you know like an outlet to to, to satisfy himself on a project to work on, um, or maybe God was lonely and he, and he wanted some company or Or maybe he did it so he could learn love or express love better or have relationships or or whatever it is and it kind of sounds nice but it's a concept we need to be on guard against because that's not our god that's not the god of the bible all of those thoughts all that they serve to do is make us more important than we actually are and make god a whole lot less than he actually is God didn't create the world because he was lonely. He wasn't looking for an outlet for his creativity or to, to express himself or to grow. He wasn't looking for someone or something to love. He didn't do it out of need or requirement because he is absolute and independent. A theologian by the name of Matthew Barrett, he wrote this, if God were not our say, that is from himself, then he would be weak and pathetic For he would be needy and dependent too. He would need saving, just as we do. He would be a God like us, but not a God other than us. As someone else said, a a God with needs, that would be a God that you might pray for, but not a God that you would pray to. Our God has no needs. He is independent and absolute and has never lacked anything. But, that might be reasonably straightforward to get our hands around, but what about some of the implications of this? What about, what about, for example, love? You know, if God has no needs, then how can we talk about love in the context of God? I mean, if, if you think about it, as we talked about here, you know, one of our needs as people is uh, relationship or is community, is other. Um, we're a people who need to be loved. Uh, and we need people to love. It's, it's part of what makes us whole and, and human. Um, and in all of those loves, and all of those relationships, there's, there's all sorts of needs wrapped up, needs that we meet, needs that we have met. That's, that's how we work with each other. But God has no needs. And so by implication of that, God has no need of love or no need to love. And whilst on the face of it, that might seem like a bad thing, Actually, it's good. Because isn't it true that needs can ruin love? Needs can ruin relationships. Um, perhaps you've been in the experience of having a, a friend uh, and that friendship is not just based on you know, mutual interests or similarities or things like that, but there's an element of need in that friendship, a, a neediness. Um, now, I know all friendships have needs, you know, mutual needs back and forth, but, it, but in this friendship, it's the driving force. Um, if you've experienced that, it can get tough, can't it? It, it can be exceptionally draining. You know, always having to give, always being asked, always being leaned on. At the end of the day, you can feel quite used um, rather than wanted. Well, imagine then if that was the way God related to us. You know, if God related to us out of need, we would be consumed by that, wouldn't we? How could we meet the needs of an almighty God? I mean, can you, can you fathom what he might even ask of us? Now, that's not our God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your friendship or your love. And he doesn't because he is perfect love in and of himself. Uh, the Apostle John puts it in his first letter in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. God is love. Not uh, God is someone who loves uh, or God shows love, but God is love. That is, Love is essential to his being, to who he is. Um, That is, God is the standard of love, the source of love. Love is of him. God is love. Uh, For all eternity, uh, in the the Trinity, he has experienced the perfection of love as Father and Son and Spirit. They have uh, experienced love in its fullest and most perfect degree because they are love in that relationship. And so God has no need of your love, and he has no need of you to love. And yet, though he has no need of love, though he has no need of you to love, to complete himself or fill himself up, God is a God who chooses to love. God is a God who gifts his love. He doesn't love because he needs to love. He doesn't love because he needs your love. He loves, he gifts his love entirely because he wants to. His existence is perfect, his existence is complete and yet he has chosen to give it. This is what John says again in 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Do you hear that? Uh, Lavished. That is given in, in incredible measure, in excess. He loves you not because he needs to love you but because he wants to love you. And his perfect love, perfect through eternity, perfect amongst the Father, Spirit and Son, he gifts that very love, he lavishes that very love in fact on people, people like you and me. Now we think, oh, but we're so lovely. Of course he does. But that's not the case at all, is it? <laughs> he gifts this love on us, though we, are dis- uh, though we don't deserve it. And he gifts this love to us at great cost. Uh, you know, it's perhaps rightly the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, you and I weren't so lovely that loving us was really easy, that it kind of was the natural and right thing to do in the world. That wasn't the case at all. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been to the dog pound to, to look for a new dog. Um, sometimes, when you get there, very rarely when you get there, there's, there's these dogs that you kind of wonder how they got there. You know, they're beautiful disposition, they're really lovely and well kept and friendly and, and kind of easy to love. Very rare, but, but sometimes you see them there. That wasn't us. <laughs> That's not who we were. Uh, we, we, we were, you know, we were the mutt in the corner at the, the, the back end of the pound. We, we were dirty and hiding, and you know, the dog that growls when someone comes close and tries to bite any finger that comes near it. You know, w- that was who we were. In fact, we were actually worse than that. We, we were utterly unlovely, sinful, and rebellious. You know, we were the, we were the dog that people just say, you know, why don't they just put it out of its misery? <laughs> That's who we were. That's the situation we were in. And God loved us. Not out of need, out of want. He gifted His love to us and on us. He lavished His love, in fact, on us. And He did it at terrible cost the price of His own beloved Son and a cruel death to restore and redeem and rescue. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See, if that love was a need love, we, we would forever be left in the lurch, wouldn't we? You know, does he still need me? Um, is a day coming where perhaps he won't need me anymore? Um, maybe, maybe he'd prefer someone who's easier to love or better than better than i am Uh, maybe i should be lovelier then he'll love me more and then that will be more, more, more natural but but that's not it at all that's not how this works romans 5 verse 8 but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us god has loved you at your worst he has chosen to love you at your worst and that will never change He has no need but he has choices and he has chosen to lavish his perfect love even at the cost of his perfect son on you because he wants to. That's why I say it is precious. Now it's that love that he's lavished on us. It's that love that drives the way that we respond to him. Because, let's be honest, uh, if we're thinking this through and we're thinking some of the implications of this out, um, the next logical question is, you know, if God has no needs, if God lacks nothing, um, then what's the point of giving anything to him? You know, we talk so much about giving and about serving and about living for him, but if he doesn't need anything, why bother? (laughs) You know, we're not adding anything to him. You know, you get those birthdays that roll around and you ask yourself... do we give them they've got absolutely everything anything they don't have they could just buy (laughs) how do you buy something how do you give something to a person like that that's kind of our god isn't it how do we give to him actually the bible seems to back that up this is what uh, psalm 50 verse 9 to 12 says and this is god speaking i have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. It's, it's the logical question, isn't it? If everything is God's, what could we possibly give to him? Well, at the end of the day, the answer is nothing he needs. We can't fill up some lack that he has. We have nothing that he requires or is missing out on. Um, All of our service, our generosity, anything you can offer to him, he doesn't need it. And that's better. That's better. Because when you think about it, any time that there's a need and we we try to give to fill up a need, there is an element of uncertainty there, isn't there? That's just the way it works. I I remember it as a kid, um, first time we ever went to to Sydney as a family uh, for a holiday uh, I remember walking around the streets one evening, and for the very first time, saw a homeless person. Never seen that before. Sh- you know, sheltered upbringing, Tasmania. Um, but but I remember finding it quite confronting. Never never seeing a person in that situation. It was really quite odd and, and, and hard to see. And I remember this guy. He approached uh, my dad, and he asked for money. I th- it was only twenty bucks or something. Uh, and to my surprise, Dad said no. <laughs> guy clearly needs money (laughs) like it's not even that much but but now i can't now i understand you know growing up getting a bit more experience you understand i I remember i think dad offered him groceries or vouchers i I can't remember i don't think he took them but but you understand the issue there don't you Uh, and we understand the problem there's there's an uncertainty in need and there's an uncertainty in meeting other people's needs is this actually good for that person and their needs is it going to actually make it worse? Is it going to perpetuate this issue? What, what do they actually need? There's all these questions. But we don't have that when we come to God because God doesn't need your giving. God doesn't require anything that you have. So what that means is when he asks something of you, he's got something else in mind, doesn't he? Not his own needs being met, but something for you. Something for your sake. And I think there's two things, at least two things. Firstly, dependence. God asks us to give to him as a reminder that in everything we are utterly dependent on him. He is independent, we are not. Uh, Matthew Barrett again, uh, this is what he says, Not one breath we take, not one minute of time, not one single dollar is truly ours. Therefore, when we serve God and when we give to him, we should do so out of thanksgiving, remembering that all of this is his to begin with. Every time you give, uh, every time you serve, it is a reminder, um, not I earned this, therefore I can give it back to God, but a reminder God has given this he has given the money he has given the job by which i can earn that money he has given the health to work or to serve he's given the skills the opportunity the energy at every single layer it is utterly a gift of god and his generous provision to you god is independent you are not you are dependent in absolutely every way on him and giving to him is our reminder of exactly that and therefore is a response a thankful response to his immensely gracious generosity so first of all it's a reminder of our dependence secondly it's a reminder of our privilege I mean, just ask yourself for a moment what what would be the most efficient way for god to work in this world you know if god had purposes for this world what is the the easiest the best way for him to get about doing that um here's a hint it doesn't involve us (laughs) doesn't involve you nor me Uh, he he doesn't lack your ability he's not thinking oh wow I'm so glad that you know Julian's on the scene now I really needed those particular gifts and abilities he has never thought that about me (laughs) I can assure you of that and neither of you he doesn't lack your skills or your gifts or your abilities or your opportunities nothing is beyond him he doesn't need your help but he chooses to use it it's remarkable, isn't it? He chooses to allow you a part in his work, to participate and to share and be involved. He chooses to work through your giving and your serving and the time that you set aside and, and everything that he's given you. He chooses to work through those means. Um, he does have a plan for this world, and his plan is remarkable. His plan is beautiful. And he has included every single one of his people in working that plan out and in working through his people to work that plan out. Um, in, the, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, Paul is writing about the Macedonian churches, and, and this is what he says about them. He says, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, that is, in giving money. Do you hear that? They didn't have to be asked off their own bat. They said, please give us the opportunity to give more to this work. Because they got this. Giving, even though they were poor, was their way of sharing in God's work, in in His great plan for this world. It was their privilege to do it. So God is not, you know, step back, let me do it. God is, come on, let's do this together. He's, you know, the dad patiently working with the kids even though it's going to take far longer and be far more painful. Your giving, your serving, it is not indispensable. (laughs) Don't have too high an opinion of yourself, I'm sorry to say. God does not need you nor your money. But he has given you the privilege and the opportunity to share in his work through those means. It is a gift that he has given to participate in his work out of everything that he's given. Now whether he's given you riches or whether it's the widow's copper coin from Jesus' story, it doesn't matter. Each of us has been offered the chance to be part of his work proportional to what he's given. God has no needs and yet he works through us and that's why we delight to serve him. our God is absolute no one has ever given to him no one ever can because there is nothing he needs and there is nothing he lacks and yet he is absolutely gracious he chooses to lavish his love on us loving the unlovely at the cost of his son to restore and redeem and call us children he chooses to give to us Um, And he chooses to work through us, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. We have an independent and absolute God. And therefore, in his independence, absolute security in him. So let's come to him and pray and give thanks to him. Let me lead you as we do that. Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us to get our minds uh, mixed up when we come to thinking about you. Um, it's so tempting for us to find uh, our meaning and in self-importance in, in our wrong thinking, in, in ideas of you somehow needing us. Uh, but Lord, as we've, as we've seen and as you've shown us, nothing could be further from the truth because you are our God who is perfect in love who is perfect in power and in riches and in wisdom. You are a God who is infinite and absolute and independent. And Father, it's there that we find our meaning and our purpose unshakable because out of your perfections you have chosen, chosen to love us, chosen to graciously give to us, even to the extent of giving your own son for us. Father, we praise you for your goodness and grace that you have lavished so richly on us. And Father, we ask that this knowledge of your great love and your generosity, that that would be for us a great security and a great assurance. Father, we pray that knowing you in your perfections, in your independence, that that would drive us to eager love and service as we partner with you and as we respond to you and what you have done in Jesus.